I now welcome representatives from the Centre for Independent Studies. Thank you for appearing before the committee today. And uh, for the Hansard record, could you please state your names and the capacity in which you appear? Absolutely. Simon Cowan. I'm Research Manager at the Centre for Independent Studies. Matthew O'Donnell, Senior uh, uh, Research Fellow at the Centre for Independent Studies. Thank you. And I invite you to make a brief opening statement should you wish to do so. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, on behalf of the Centre for Independent Studies, I want to thank the committee for the opportunity to speak today. The CIS is a non-partisan think tank, but one which believes in free markets and smaller government. And it is on that basis that the CIS supports lowering taxes, including, but not limited to, lower corporate taxes. Company tax is one of the most hurtful economic taxes that exists. And in global terms, Australia is more dependent on company tax than many other comparable countries. Countries around the world and in our region have either cut rates or already have substantially lower rates than Australia does. We hope that by coming here today and participating in this inquiry, we can dispel some of the pernicious myths surrounding this debate. And while we would be happy to debate the general merits of company tax cuts, and no doubt we'll touch on these issues in our uh, submissions, the substance of our brief opening remarks will be on two elements arising from the terms of reference. The first relates to the principle of requiring the BCA or any individual company to give a commitment to increase investment, employment or wages in order to pass a company tax cut. And the second relates to the desirability or otherwise of implementing a system for monitoring compliance with that commitment. In our view, both the concept of the commitment and the system to monitor performance are damaging to economic freedom and, with respect, suggest a misunderstanding of how company tax cuts will affect the economy. If the BCA or any individual company wish to make voluntary commitments for what are essentially political purposes, that is up to them. It is another matter altogether for legislators to make such a commitment a precondition or a binding requirement of company tax cuts. Tax cuts reduce the disincentives put in the way of companies and individuals, allowing them greater economic freedom and allowing them to create economic growth. Conditional cuts, on the other hand, are another form of reg regulation and central planning based on the notion that it is only government that can ensure businesses will do the right thing and invest more. There are legitimate questions that should be asked before passing any tax cuts including whether or not the budget can afford them. But whether the government needs to coerce companies for the benefits to, quote, trickle down is not such a question. The benefits of company tax do not flow to wage earners on the basis of a commitment by companies to use the proceeds to boost wages or hire staff, though no doubt some companies may do this. It does not require charity or a social contract with business in no sense are the benefits reliant on a trickle-down effect. By contrast, it is the market that will drive this increased investment, particularly by foreigners who receive a higher rate of return than they would have done so previously. And it is this self-interested increase in investment that will increase labour productivity, employment and ultimately wages. However, the fact that a commitment by business is not necessary for company tax cut to be a good policy is not the only reason why a system of measurement for such compliance is not a good idea. One reason, and an important one, is that the company tax rate is only one of many factors 
that determines whether a company chooses to invest. In observing movements in investment, wages, productivity and employment in the years following a company tax cut, it will be impossible to separate out the effects of the cut from movements in the general economy. This is especially the case for a tax cut phased in over a number of years. Evidence of wage growth at companies making this commitment would not necessarily be associated with a company tax cut, nor would any increases in investment necessarily be caused by that commitment. Both could be the result of external effects in the economy. Importantly, the counterfactual in this analysis is not the current levels of investment, wages or employment. The global market for capital is dynamic and by standing still, Australia risks losing investment to other countries. Investment may have declined in Australia in the absence of a cut. So there is no way to know, even if no change in investment was evidence of a company tax cut failure. A third relevant point is that part of the response to company tax cuts will take the form of new foreign investors coming to Australia and new companies being formed here, whereas any commitments can only come from existing companies operating in Australia. That is why it is necessary to rely on aggregate modelling to determine the expected effect of a company tax cut. And most of the modelling performed indicates that company tax cuts will have a positive effect on investment, growth and wages. In short, the case for company tax cuts rises or falls on its merits. It does not rely on BCA members or other large companies being good corporate citizens who pay their taxes or commit to deal with the proceeds of the cut. And we'd be happy to take any questions. Thank you very much, Mr Cowan. If I could just ask, firstly, uh, in your opening statement, you talk about the, the BCA's commitment being given for political purposes. I take it from everything you've said in your opening statement that, um, that you might agree with Professor Swan, who is, I think you've heard his evidence, that the BCA's commitment is a pile of rubbish and not worth the paper it's written on. Would you agree with that? No, I would not. Um, I think the commitment they've made is actually correct, and specifically that a corporate tax cut is likely to lead to them investing more in Australia. Um, the point that I'm making about it being political is that the reasons that they're giving, the idea that they would need to deal with the cut in a certain way, is actually driven primarily by the political debate around company tax cuts, not the economic effect of those cuts. But in real terms, what's the effect of their commitment if you say these change, these beneficial outcomes are going to occur anyway because of if the tax cuts uh, go ahead? What's the, what's the effect of the commitment? Uh, very little. Yep. Very little? Yes, the, the commitment is worth very little. The economic effects that underlie the company tax cut is worth a lot more, which is why it's important that the tax cut happens. It's not important that the commitment is received or that the commitment is measured or assessed in years going forward. Well, I'm focused on the commitment. What, I'm, I'm happy to do so. Um, you've said it's worth very little. I've yes. said it's worth not, not the paper that it's written on. There's doesn't seem to be much between us on that. I, I don't want to get into the semantics at that point. Basically, the point I'm making is not that there's anything in that commitment that I think is economically incorrect. It's that I don't think that the commitment has any economic effect with respect to company tax cuts. So if you were in the shoes of the BCA, you wouldn't have made that commitment, would you? Well, I understand why they did it, but the, the purpose of doing so was to 
um, move forward the debate on company tax cuts rather than, than try and lock in any sort of economic gain. And we've seen in the US, for example, where, where Donald Trump passed substantial tax cuts, he secured commitments from companies that they would treat the proceeds in a certain way. That impact, however welcome it may be, is actually not the primary economic mechanism by which company tax cuts work. Okay, but having weighed into the debate uh, for political purposes, as you say, you don't think it's it's uh, relevant for the Senate to want to uh, inquire into the level of the commitment, what it actually means? Because we're talking about $65 billion worth of foregone tax revenue. You don't think the public has an, has an interest in uh, whether or not there are better ways for that those funds to be allocated? Uh, absolutely. And as I said, I mean, I think there are a number of important questions with respect to a company tax cut. but. The mechanisms to measure any commitment or performance by particular companies in the economy is not a strong indicator of whether or not company tax cuts are a good policy or indeed whether or not the, the tax cuts are successful or failure, um, both from the perspective that the economic impacts are separate to the commitment, but also in terms of attempting to measure the commitment. It will be very difficult, if not impossible, to separate out the global economic impacts and all of the other factors that are at play here, in addition to the factors that would have occurred had the company tax cut not happened. So there's no counterfactual to assess this against, and there's no way to be certain that any positive benefits from investment or wages come from company tax cuts, or indeed that if there are no changes, that the company tax cut didn't provide a benefit that we would not have otherwise received. Okay. So how do you respond to testimony uh, earlier that um, even optimistic modelling in support of these tax cuts shows only very modest gains if the cuts are paid for by bracket creep? Oh, I think bracket creep is also quite a pernicious tax, um, okay. and we've campaigned long and hard on the government's need to move against bracket creep. Um, I think you see more benefits if we see a reduction in, in inefficient government spending. One of the things that we've advocated for in our Target 30 program is that government should substantially cut assistance that it provides to businesses um, to distort particular investment decisions and that if they were to do so um, and use those proceeds to fund the company tax cut, you would probably see greater benefits. And what about the evidence that the, our corporate tax rate is still uh, quite competitive at 30 per cent uh, given the impact of dividend imputation? Oh, look, there's no question that dividend imputation has an effect on, on this debate and in, on these issues. Um, but when we're talking about company tax cuts, the relevant issue here is who is the marginal investor? Where does the extra dollar come from with respect to investment as a result of this cut? Um, and I think there's fairly good evidence that the marginal investor is a foreign investor who does feel the impact of company tax cuts and therefore will be responsive um, to changes. Uh, Australia does have a company tax rate that is higher than competing countries. There's a lot of different corporate tax systems in the world, but I do think that there is um, evidence to suggest that if Australia had a lower company tax rate, that would secure additional investment from foreign investors. So finally, uh, from me then, uh, so you, you would agree that the, most of the benefits of the ta tax cuts go to foreign investors and that there are windfalls for existing investments to a much greater degree than uh, incentivising new investment? So I think we need in that respect to separate out short-term and long-term benefits. In, in the short-term, there's a benefit to foreign investors. That benefit is what secures additional investment in the country. Um, 
as that additional investment comes in the, as a result of what is effectively a, a higher rate of return, um, that investment then competes away that additional rate of return back towards the global expected average rate of return for investment. Um, as that happens, the benefits to foreigners diminish, and what we see is that investment then translates to um, capital deepening and increasing productivity as a result of that, and then through to wages. And that's why modelling by the Treasury and others have found that the bulk of the incidence of company tax rate is actually borne by workers, and the bulk of the benefits of a company tax rate cut would also flow through in the longer term to workers. Okay. Well, I'll leave that there. Uh, Senator Hume. Thank you, Chair. I just want to ask you a, a very brief line of questioning on um, the impact of a company tax cut in the CIS's uh, opinion. If economic growth leads to employment growth, obviously there's been a lot of talk about wages stagnation recently. Can you explain how um, potential increased employment from a company tax cut would lead to, would, would affect wages? Yeah, sure. Do you want to? Yeah, sure. So basically the more, the more you invest, the more opportunities there are out there to hire more workers mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Um, and the whole point of, of an economy is to serve the consumer and the uh, businesses are always looking for ways to serve the consumer and one of the main ways to serve the consumer is to provide new products and you need people to actually produce those products. And as, of course, just adding on to what my colleague Matthew is saying, by increasing the demand for employment, you're effectively increasing the demand for employees to a relatively fixed pool. As that happens, employees can demand higher wages. Um, we've seen in recent years a stagnation of wages, but, but across um, a longer period of time in Australia particularly, we have seen a significant growth in wages at all levels. Um, and particularly, you know, if you look at the effects of, say, the mining boom that Howard and Costello um, saw, we saw a very significant growth in wages as a result of that um, uh, combined with a falling rate of unemployment and you know so the, the economic transition mechanism is there. Um, the, the difficulty is assessing whether or not that fall or increase is caused by the company tax cut or you know other effects in the economy and the most obvious example of that if you were to compare employment between say 2008 and 2012 and 2013 and 2017 and ignore the impact of the GFC, you would come to a very skewed analysis. Right. And, to, and to add to that too, all new investment in, in machinery, etc., makes workers more productive and when workers are more productive, they can, they can ask for higher wages. Okay. So in, increase in employment, which is most likely to come from company tax cut, leads to an increase in wages. Yep. Is that uh, correct? So it's not just employment, it's employment and investment. And investment. And investment and yes. productivity. Thank you. Yeah. Will that impact be immediate or do you think it will take some time? It always takes time. Some things will happen straight away because um, companies front run. They, the companies, when they're looking at investments, are looking into the future. So there are certain investments they may make today or, or, or would make today if they knew that there was a tax cut in the future. But a lot of the impact is going to take time. And indeed, you know, one of the things that the companies are looking for in that respect is certainty. So if they're certain that the company tax rate will be a certain, uh, you know, percentage in the future, then they will impact, that will impact their decision making. If they're not certain, that rate will be there. They, it may not have as great an impact. So it's fair for the companies uh, that, that uh, signed the BCA's letter to say that they are considering investment within their own organisations in response to a company tax cut? Yes. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Uh, Senator Rihanna. Uh, thank you very much. Um, Mr Cowan, you said um, just in your evidence earlier that you understand why BCA did it, 
but when you were speaking, I didn't actually hear you explain, like you've talked about your opinion of the commitment, but sure. not actually the reasons of why they did it. So could you say why you believe they did it? Yeah, I, I think there's probably two main motivating factors here. The first is that obviously there's a self-interest element a company tax cut will be good for the BCA members, it will benefit them, and so they have an interest in that policy being pursued by government. I think they also believe that a, a company tax cut would be good for the country as a whole. It would result in higher wages um, and higher economic growth, and so on that basis I think they're seeking to advance the debate to try and, and reassure um, senators and others that, that the mechanisms by which this occurs the benefits translate from an economic uh, a tax cut from an economic perspective. I think they're trying to convince people that, that they will actually occur. Um, I don't think that it's necessary for them to make that commitment for those benefits to occur, but I think they're doing so to um, try and encourage people to accept that they will. But you spoke about earlier about the political aspect of this. I mean, let's remember in the context of when this happened that the government didn't have the numbers and the government has said that this is a foundation of their um, economic plans, their political plans, etc. And so the BCA has come in to try and win those numbers over. So wasn't it just an attempt to win votes? Isn't that purely what it was all about? Oh, I think it's primarily a political tool um, and I think it is aimed at convincing people who are wavering on this issue. Um, I, I do think, or at least I would expect, that the BCA would also support um, an investment guarantee for, for very similar reasons and for similar um, motivations. But, like, isn't that also underlined because you'd be aware that the original BCA statement was much stronger and then they couldn't get the um, agreement of many of their members and they watered it down to a much more wishy-washy statement. So doesn't that really underline, you know, how, like how political it was? It was about winning votes and at the end of the day it's self-interest rules. Uh, I, I've, seen, I've seen what purports to be um, a draft of the original commitment. I think the commitment that, that they made in the end reflects better the economic realities and what is within their control. Um, and I think some of the things that were in the original document, and I, and I must stress, I have no idea if what's been reported on is, is actually a draft that was circulated amongst BCA members, um, but I would suggest that the commitment they gave is better reflects the economic circumstances of a company tax cut. Considering that final document was, you know, was widely described as being less accountable, so would you agree with that, that it was um, that it gone in that direction? Um, less accountable? I mean, I think the accountability has very little weight as to whether or not a company tax cut is a good policy or not. Um, and so, you know, from the perspective of policy, I'm not sure that, that whether or not it's more or less accountable is important. Um, I think that as I said, the submission that they made in the end, the commitment they made in the end, better reflects the economic circumstances that they have control over. Well, I suppose it's, when we're discussing this, it's worth remembering what was in that original document. Like it, it's been reported that it promised to put business, and these are BCA to, BCA's original words, in a stronger position to avoid offshoring jobs, invest more in remote and rural Australia, and be able to increase wages with, when the conditions are right. So that, that was all dropped. Look, and I think there's, there's reason to think that some of the commitments that are in this original statement would, be, um, would come to pass. Um, but I think it would be a stretch to say that there's strong evidence to suggest that 
they would be in a stronger position to avoid the offshoring of jobs per se. Um, as I said, I think there's a lot of other factors that are at play uh, with respect to this, and that's why I think a shorter commitment better reflects the economic circumstances rather than, you know, that there's, there's certainly a suggestion that jobs may well be created in cities, suburbs, towns and bush, but I don't think that they can control necessarily whether or not that occurs. Thank you, Chair. Senator Stoker. Thanks, gentlemen. In your submissions, you've referred to the US experience of granting company tax cuts um, as a comparative example. Can you explain to us what some of the economic benefits have been in the US and, in particular, explain how that has affected wages growth? Um, yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think, again, the US company tax cuts have only occurred very recently. So the longer-term effects that we're talking about in our submission in terms of, you know, increased wages um, across the economy, I think it's too early to see the benefits of that. What we have seen is that some US companies in particular have taken the proceeds of, of that tax cut and used that to boost wages or to provide benefits to employees. Some of them have no doubt also distributed that to their shareholders and to other investors. Um, and that's the sort of behaviour that you would expect to see. Um, you know, in the short term, there's likely to be um, uh, anecdotal situations where wages increase at particular companies and, and employment um, potentially goes down. Whether or not that effect is big enough to measure across the economy, I think, is an open question. But the primary benefits that you would see from a company tax cut take longer to be seen, I think. Um, what we've seen in the US is, is steps in the right direction rather than necessarily evidence that there's the full benefit of the tax cuts already been passed on. And just a follow-up sure. question. Um, based on your understanding of that experience, what do you expect to be the short, medium and long-term implications of tax cuts for companies in Australia? Yeah, sure. So the US experience is somewhat different by the fact that they've got quite a large budget deficit and they've massively reduced revenue in a, into a deficit. So their situation is a little bit different to ours, and there's obviously that, that element of it. And there's the fact that the US economy as well is quite different to Australia. It's a large economy. It, it's not as dependent on um, capital inflows as Australia is. It's not as um, responsive to global economic conditions. But what we would expect to see and what modelling from Treasury and others shows is that um, initially, there will be an increase in foreign investment chasing that additional return. That increase in foreign investment will lead to, say, you know, new companies setting up here, existing companies investing more. Um, that capital deepening will translate to additional employment opportunities and additional productivity gains, and that that will then lead to wages growth over time. Um, and that would be expected to be seen in the medium to long term rather than the short term. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your evidence and your time today. Uh, you, following off the questions about the tax cuts in the United States, uh, you're aware that President Trump's Tax Cuts and Jobs Act also contained significant provisions regarding tax depreciation. Uh, there's a lot of specifics for the, the plan. I'm, I must confess I'm not an expert on the U.S. tax cuts, but um, I'm aware of the sort of the general position. Um, with respect to the, those tax cuts. Obviously, the US has a very um, different situation to Australia in a number of ways. They don't have an imputation system. Um, they've also transitioned from a, uh, to a source-based 
revenue, so they'll actually see less benefit um, than they might have otherwise from company tax cuts, say, or um, in particular US investors would see a greater impact of company tax from Australia. Okay, sure, I will come back to this point about sure. depreciation, but since you've brought up some of the differences between the United States and Australia, is it also the case uh, that 44 states in the US uh, levy a form of corporate income tax? Uh, yes. I'm, I'm sure that that's correct. And, yep. you know, as I said, the, the US system is quite different to the Australian system in, in a number of respects. I'm sure we'll explore that point later on with other witnesses. That's not the point I wanted to explore with you. Um, back to the issue around depreciation. According to the Reserve Bank, non-mining investment in Australia is at a 58-year low at just 9% of GDP. Now, given that, what would be the best way for Australia to overcome what the Reserve Bank uh, my, what some commentators, excuse me, have observed is our greatest weakness, not that non-mining investment is at this 58-year uh, low. Should we lower company tax or should we increase investment allowances, accelerated depreciation and research deductions? That's a good question and, and to be honest with you, I think we're quite concerned about the level of investment we've published for a number of years on the the problems that Australia is basically seeing a level of company investment that we haven't seen since we've been in a serious recession. Um, so we definitely need to do things to boost um, the level of investment and, and for a number of, of different reasons. And, and you know, we think that the investment deductions policy is also a good one. Um, we think that there are benefits that would accrue from that policy in addition to company tax cuts. I think the better position um, in the longer term is to go with a company tax cut rather than an investment um, allowance for a couple of reasons. Firstly, um, and this is uh, what I've seen reported from Grattan and others, that the investment allowances that are being proposed don't cover all the investment in the economy, so that may um, distort some of the choices that are being made. Um, in the longer term, there is also the possibility that government will then um, intervene and interfere with that investment allowance to direct it towards particular types of investment. And we have seen that in the past where, um, you know, government has chosen or preferred particular investments over others um, for political reasons. So we would prefer that wasn't the case. Um, but absolutely we think there's a lot of merit and benefit in um, investment deductions and allowances and we think that that is a good way of boosting investment in the country. Well, the ORCA Chief Executive Alberto Calderon recently said that the best way to boost desperately needed investment was to boost investment allowances, not lower company taxes. So you would say he's wrong in that assertion? Well, that's his particular opinion, but the economy is an incredibly complex thing, and every, every entrepreneur and every individual has a different view on what's right and wrong, and the market system is driven by people making those decisions with their own money mm. and getting it right or wrong. So why we like a company tax cut is because it's even. It, it, it treats everybody the same, whereas with these in, uh, investment allowances, it, it picks winners. Mm. Even, even if it's inadvertent, it's still picking winners, and it's much, much better to allow individuals to make the, the decisions rather than, than having it done by uh, government fair. Mm. Again, I would add... Um, Certainly having an investment allowance would be better than the current situation. Yes. So it would definitely be an improvement. Mm. Mm. Uh, Robert Gottlieb, in The Australian, said that handing our biggest taxpayers, banks, miners and retailers a fistful of cash, where in the case of Australian-owned companies, shareholders will demand higher dividends, is not an efficient way to boost investment. And isn't that the point, that if we provide this company tax cut in the short term, particularly 
shareholders are going to demand higher dividends. But what matters is not increasing investment. What matters is increasing GDP. And what people decide to do with their own money is, is fine, provided that the, the policy change is improving the economy. If people don't want to invest, that's fine, because they're going to use that money, they'll consume something, and then that will create uh, an opportunity for more jobs to be made uh, in, a, in a different market. But to actually say that uh, a company tax cut is all about investment is incorrect. It's about allowing individuals to make their own decisions and maximise the size of the economy. In that case, then, you do seem to be at odds with the BCA, whose commitment to the Senate is that if the company tax rate is cut, there will be more investment. And that is all they said. Uh, they didn't talk about anything else in their commitment. It is highly likely that there will be more investment, but that's not the reason you have a company tax cut. You have a company tax cut because you want to maximise the size of the economy and you want to allow individuals to make decisions for themselves. Mm -hmm. okay. Thank you. The commitment that the BCA is given goes directly from the tax cut to all the way through to wage rises. But you and your submission have made, I think, the, the correct point, which is that there is no direct line from company tax cuts to higher wages. Yeah, it depends on um, the other conditions in the economy, among, amongst other things. So if everything else was equal, we'd be, we would expect to see an increase in wages as a result of company tax cuts. Um, there are a lot of other factors that, that impact here, and that's why I think the best that you could say is that it's likely, perhaps even very likely, um, that you will see an increase in wages as a result of company tax cuts, um, but you can't give a certainty that that is the case. There's no guarantee that that will occur. Isn't also, some, some economists would argue that a precursor to wage rises is improved productivity. Would you agree with that? Yep. Yep. Certainly would. And, okay. and if the company tax cuts allow businesses to make more investments, particularly in capital investments, then productivity will rise and that will create uh, more opportunities for workers to, to get wage rises. So how do you explain the fact that uh, productivity seems to have been rising since 2000 and yet real wage increases have been stagnant? Well, so we've seen, we well, have, yeah. well, sorry, I was going to say, real wages have increased, there's no doubt about that, and I agree, they haven't increased to the same level as productivity, but there's a whole host of things uh, that, that occur in, in an economy, and it's, things don't move in lockstep. There are other periods of time where wages uh, significantly uh, rise significantly faster than productivity. So there's, a, there's always a balance between what's going on. And one of the things that we have seen, I think, during that period was a significant increase um, in a very technical and specific type of um, capital with, with the mining boom. You know, the, the level of investment that we saw was very strongly directed in that particular direction. And so um, we didn't see a general increase in investment the way you might expect from a company tax cut. We saw a very specific um, uh, boost in that, in that initial stage as well. Um, the other point that is relevant with respect to mining is that there is a lag um, from the level of investment to the increase in productivity um, because you need a very significant upfront capital investment. Um, you see then a, a gain as the mine comes online and, and in longer term. And the other thing to add is that measuring productivity is one of the hardest things to do for the, for the ABS and so 
trying to work out exactly what productivity is at any point in time is, is very difficult. So you, you can have some significant measure, measurement issues which could be driving some of the difference. And all of this goes back to Mr Cowan to your point that the, this commitment's worth very little from the BCA. I think the commitment is primarily political rather than economic. But I don't think the fact that the commitment matters little uh, necessarily translates to um, company tax cuts not being good policy or that the company tax cut itself is not um, a substantial or significant thing to pursue. Okay. Are there any... Further, may I just correct something? Um, the witnesses were asked to proceed on a factual basis, which was that there had been um, no growth in non-mining um, investment um, in, in recent years, and in fact that rose by 12% in 2017. I, said, I cited the Reserve Bank, which said it had grown uh, by 9%. I didn't say yeah. no growth. It, it had fallen substantially in the years before that. We've seen an uptick, uh, uptick in recent times. It's, it's not yet clear whether or not that's a sustained um, increase or not. Sorry. Just, just for clarity, and I, I take what um, Senator Keneally um, has said, but the minutes of the 3rd of April 2018 show that private non-mining business investment increased by more than 12% over 2017. And I said that non-mining investment in Australia is a 58-year 58, 58 low at just 9% of GDP. I don't think we're in contradiction, yeah. Senator. That's fine. Thank you. Well, thank you very much uh, for appearing for us today. Thank you. thank you very much.